Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I want to talk this morning about um, what I think is a very important topic. And it's, it's about sharing our faith. About sharing our faith. I want to uh, encourage you to share your faith, to proactively share your faith with others. And um, in this room today and listening online, there'll be a whole load of different kinds of people. Some who have uh, been very good at sharing their faith over the years. Others that have been a bit nervous about it. Others that have begun to do it and now have become a bit lukewarm over it or felt they were rejected a bit too much and sound they're pulling back. Some have found themselves in Christian cocoons. By that I mean uh, when we say, why don't you share your faith? In fact, you don't know anybody to share it with. And so I want to uh, encourage us along these lines. But I particularly want to talk about one particular group of what I want to call an unreached people group. And uh, if you go to mission seminars, which uh, I certainly did, but many, many years ago, they, they, they get out the maps, you know, and they talk about where are the people who have not heard the gospel. And they call these people the unreached people group or groups. And I want to talk about an unreached people group that may or may not, but probably does exist in your life. And and it's not on some island somewhere where they don't have the internet or they don't have missionaries, though those groups, of course, exist. I want to talk about some of the scariest people And the most unreached of all people, and that is our best friends, and particularly our family members. If I said to you, I want to give you a choice. Either you go into the middle of Cambridge and stand on a box by the Guildhall and preach in the street, or you go and see your great aunt Olwyn and preach to her. Some in this room may choose the guild hall and the market. Because sometimes for us, the scariest people to talk to and try to preach to in regard to our faith are not a group of... uh, dangerous-looking bikers. It's not even someone at work, but it's actually your mum or your uncle or your, or your dad or your, some, maybe someone at work, your very best friend or something like that. So here are the, here's my unreached, the ultimate unreached people group. Sometimes it can be your nan. Or your gran, where you feel like you, 
You can fully operate maybe in church and you, you could even join an evangelism team and you could go on a mission. But talking to your dad about Jesus, wow, that is a whole new thing. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And um, <coughs> what can happen is, what can happen is this. We get to the point where we begin to say to ourselves, do you know what? I want to preach the gospel, but I believe, because I've read, I've read some books and I've heard some ideas, I believe that, I believe that the, the, the best way to share the gospel with people is to get to know them first. So we say, you've, you've started a new job, yes. Uh, I've just begun down at this office, or I've just begun at, uh, at this uh, restaurant, I've just begun at this school. And uh, someone says, well, have you, have you told anyone that you're a Christian yet? No, 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 I've not told them yet. I'm just going to get to know them first, you know. Just going to get to know them. Just going to get to know them first. And then after a while, I will share with them. So we come back and see you three months later. How's it going down at the school, office, restaurant, etc.? Oh, it's going fine. Have you told them you're a Christian yet? Well, they sort of know I go to church, but have you shared your faith yet? No, no, you know, I'm just kind of getting to know them. You know, I'm just kind of get to know them a bit better. And then, and then uh, after a while, after I've got to know them, then I'll have the right to speak to them. Have you heard this, this kind of thing? And here's a problem. It's absolutely right, of course, that the very best people, the very best way to share with people is, is you know, people that we know. I've got no problem with that, but here's the problem. If asked honestly, the people we find hardest to, to share our faith with are the people we know really well. And so it kind of diffuses itself. So you get to the point where you know that girl at work so well now and you've been to the, you've been to the cafe with her a few times and you're really getting on, but now you know her so well, uh, you find it hard to share with her. Because you don't want to break the relationship. Well, I like to preach to but I don't, I don't want to break the relationship. Well, we're getting on so well. I don't want to cause friction. I think I'll just get to know her a little bit better, you know. And then, you know, you leave work or she gets run over or you get run over. It, 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 it's, it's not, it's not going to happen. I want to uh, show you that Jesus also had problems, not with close friends, because that's not quite how he worked, but certainly with his family. You might think, how am I going to share the gospel with my, with my dad or my nan? How am I going to talk to my great aunt Olwyn uh, about Jesus? How's this going to happen? And I want to show you that Jesus had similar problems. Are you in Mark chapter 3? Look at verse 20. Mark chapter 3 and verse, and verse 20 says, Then Jesus entered a house... And again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Now, look at this, verse 21. I bet this is not underlined in your Bible. I bet it isn't. But verse 21, when his family heard about this, heard that he was speaking to a crowd, they went to take charge of him. (laughs) For they said... He is out of his mind. (laughs) 
Is that underlined? I bet that's not underlined in your Bible. No, you don't quote that every day, do you? You not learnt that verse. When the family heard that he was getting a bit religious, super religious, they went to take charge of him because they said he is out of his mind. Go into John's Gospel, chapter 7, and we find that there were similar problems. John chapter 7. And just a, just a single verse really, verse, verse 5. John 7 and verse 5 says this, Even his own brothers did not believe in him. So, if you think you've got problems sharing your faith with your family, well, it starts... It starts 2,000 years ago, this, this kind of problem. Even Jesus had similar problems. I remember when I became a Christian, and uh, I thought, well, how am I going to tell my mom? How am I going to tell my dad that I've become a Christian? So what I did is I waited six weeks. I, I, I can remember. It could have been seven. And I thought, how am I going to tell them? I know what I'm going to do. I'll take them out for a meal and I'll break it to them gently. It felt like breaking up with a girlfriend. I'll, t- I'll take her out for a meal. I'll break it gently. So I took them out for this meal. And um, I said, now, I was 18 years old. I said, now, I've got something to tell you. Something that's really important to me that I've been keeping secret, but I want you to know. Now, can you just imagine what my dad began to think? <laughs> See, well, he's not had a girlfriend for a while. And I said... I. I've become a Christian. And you can see, oh, hallelujah. Good. Is that all? Because, and of course, they didn't think that it would last. And uh, they thought it would just blow over. Well, it's blown me all over the world now. But it, uh, they thought it would just blow over. But I remember that, that deep sense of having to share with them. And everything was fine. They were sort of happy until I began to take it a bit too seriously. And you might be in that, that kind of scenario where your family members, they just think, well, you know, you know it's, songs of praise is nice, but there's no need to go to church all the time. And uh, what, are you do, you know, what are you doing uh, being part of that? And they can get a, bit, get a bit awkward with you. The big one example in the Bible is, of course, Matthew uh, chapter 6. Sorry, Mark chapter 6, where Jesus goes to his hometown and he says, you know what, here I am without honor. I'm a prophet, but I'm without honor because everyone here knows me. And that's the problem, isn't it? So what I want to do today is I want to give you three little uh, pointers as to how you are going to break the silence and talk to someone in your family about your faith. And this is the bit where you say, actually, I think I might rather stand on a box in the market square. But let's talk about breaking the silence with members of our family about our faith. Because we're told to preach the gospel to every creature, aren't we? And that includes our family. So here are just three, three things that we can do. Number one, very simple, nothing technical about any of these we ought to pray for them we ought to pray for them 
The Bible says in 2 Peter 3 that God is not willing that any should perish. Verse 9. God is not willing that any should perish. So as you're there with your, your uncle or your aunt or your cousin, God does not want them to perish. And if you do not share your faith with them, they have become an unreached people group. By virtue of the fact that you're kind of awkward and silent and, or embarrassed or nervous or fearful, we've all been rejected as we've tried to share our faith, haven't we? And it creates that sense of, I better protect myself. I don't want to cause any, any ripples in this, in this family. But God has made it very clear He is not willing that any should perish. And in 1 John chapter 5, we're told that if we ask anything in accordance with his will, he hears us. So for you to leave this building and leave this service or or leave this podcast and make a decision, I'm going to start to pray for my family again. I'm going to start to pray for them again. Because the role of sharing the faith is with me. In regard to them. It's something that I need to do. And I want God to move upon their lives. In uh, John's gospel chapter 6 and verse 44. Jesus says this. No one can come to me. Except the father draws them. There is something mysterious about this. That we cannot really understand. But we can believe it. And they're two different things. It's, uh, It's beyond understanding. But it's not beyond belief. You can believe something. And what you, what, what you are, what the Lord asks you to believe is that He is able to draw people to Himself. I remember an evangelist once said to me, he said, the greatest crime that we can commit as, as, you know, those who share our faith, witnesses, those who are evangelists, he said, the worst crime of all, and you might be guilty of it yourself is that you make up people's minds for them. So you look at your family, you look at your uncle, your aunt, your cousin, your mum, and you make up your mind, this one is a candidate to be saved, and this one is not. And you kind of can look at them now, maybe not everyone does this, but I think a lot of Christians do. They look and they say, well, this one's reachable. There you are down in your workplace tomorrow. This one might come to church, but th- that guy, oh, he's so hard. He's so closed. At, and, and the terrifying thing is that you never put that to the test. You already have determined the result of the experiment without conducting the experiment. You understand what I mean? And I remember we did a mission in Torquay many, many years ago. And uh, people were given tickets to invite friends. And I remember the guy pleading with the congregation. I, I thought it was incredible wisdom. He said, don't make up people's minds for them. And this could happen today, next week at uh, Costa. A, an amazing opportunity for you to invite someone to come and hear a world-class musician who's going to challenge them in the most loving and gentle way about what they believe in life. They won't be offended. They won't be, they won't be cut up over it. But maybe the Holy Spirit will speak to them. 
But the danger is we say, well, now actually, yeah, well, I've got these mates, but they wouldn't want to come to that. How do you know that? Or they wouldn't be interested in Jesus. How do you know that? How do you know that? What we know is this. If we pray to one who is not willing that any should perish, he hears us. And then the Father begins to draw those people to Jesus. That's how it works. So step number one. Nothing, <coughs> excuse me, nothing new here. It's not rocket science. But step number one. It's time to pray again for our family. It's time to pray again for our family. That God would move upon their lives. Because God answers that prayer. Step number two. That was the easy one. Praying, that's always the easy bit. Step number two. Live before them blamelessly. Oh no, you are kidding me. Give me a break. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Live before them blamelessly. Well, I'm using the word blamelessly because it's a Bible word. It's a Bible word to be blameless. We know that the people who really know us are the people who are closest to us. You know full well and I know full well that we can all put on a front here and put on our best, you know, masks and uh, all look, you know, wonderful. But it's the people we live with, it's the people we work with, they know who we are. Can you say amen? They know who we are. They know who we are. And uh, the danger is to think, well, because I'm not a great witness, I'm not very good at work, or I'm not very good among my family, therefore I keep my mouth shut about my faith. Well, actually, no. Why don't we just start to live better in front of them so we can share our faith with them rather than close down the gospel? I remember one time when I was working down at, down at the caves, I used to get off the bus, I used to walk down this little road, and uh, as I was walking towards my workplace, I started at one o'clock. So that was something to be kind of happy about. And as I'm walking towards my workplace, I used to pray, I used to sing, and I used to get myself ready because I am a missionary here in this workplace. I may also be an employee. I, I may be any number of things, but my first job in life, at this job, is I am a missionary. That doesn't mean that uh, uh, I don't do my work. That doesn't mean that I'm not the best worker that they've got. You know, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't strive to be serving that company as best as I can, etc. But my first job, surely, is I am a missionary. I'm a missionary. I've got to show up at nine, I've got to go at five, or I've got to show up at one, I've got to leave at ten. But I'm a missionary. I work for my boss, but I also work for my boss. And I'm here to be a missionary. I remember I used to walk down this road and I used to start to sing. And when I arrived, I'd be full of enthusiasm. Ready to, ready to, you know, ready to go. And I actually won an award there. The most enthusiastic member of staff. <laughs> Unfortunately, there was no financial attachment. <laughs> Just a label. Well, I saw that as a bit of success. 
Because I endeavored to be the to be the light of Christ while I was there. It's a tall order. But one of the ways that you're going to attract people to Jesus is to attract them to you. Jesus in you. When I was uh, in my teenage years, before I became a Christian, my best friend was called Andrew. I so wanted to be like Andrew. He was a Christian. And I just wanted to be like him. I didn't want to become a Christian. But I wanted to be like Andrew. Well, what was it about Andrew that was attracting me? It was his Christianity that was attracting me. And it's your Christianity that's going to attract your family members, your genuine Christianity, that's going to attract your work friends. That's the secret. That's the, that's the secret ingredient. In Titus, the Apostle Paul writes this, that we should in every scenario, but he's talking about the workplace there, he says, we should make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Why? By having the latest music, CDs, or whatever. No, he was talking about being a good worker in Titus. Being a good worker. By showing up on time, by doing a good job, or by the people you live with, you know, being half decent to live with is making the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, Matthew 5 verse 13, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Don't we know how hard it is living out our lives in front of people? We know, don't we, that we can be marvelous for 364 days of the year, but on that one bad day, our testimony just went... You can be full of the joy of the Lord, but you're not allowed to punch anybody, not on one day of the year. You've got to be consistent. And we all find this very hard. I find this hard. You find this hard. We've got to be consistent. There was one job I was in, and I'm telling you the truth today. I almost quit my job, not because, not because I thought I could do anything else, particularly at that time, but because I thought, you know what, I'm letting my testimony down because I became a bit grumpy and it was very, very hard work. And I didn't want my grumpiness or my moodiness I was I remember one, I was so t- I remember one time I came in the st- someone came in the staff room and I was lying on the floor because it was exhausting and I thought maybe I should leave maybe I should quit because I was I felt I was letting letting the side down I felt I was failing in my job as a missionary there No, if salt loses its salt, we've all had that thing. You're supposed to be a Christian, aren't you? (laughs) Oh, you like that? I thought you were a Christian. I don't know where that accent came from, to be honest. But be encouraged. Because when someone says, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian, as long as they don't say it too much, it does mean that they know what you stand for. It does mean they know who you are. 
They say it every day. Something's going wrong, sweetheart. You're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Verse 14. Verse 16. In the same way as a light lights the house, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You don't know how to share the gospel with your uncle or your aunt or your mother. Just start making coffee first. That's a good start. Start being, uh, start to show practical care. Let your light so shine before men that they might see these good and praise your Father who is in heaven. Start to say, maybe there's something in this. Maybe they're not just religious, you know, wackadoos. But maybe there's something in it. Maybe there's some, maybe they don't just talk in tongues or sing songs. But maybe there's some hands and feet on this faith. Can you say amen? Where wow, it's made a difference. This person is a Christian. They're, they're helpful to me. First Timothy 6.18 says that we are to be rich in good deeds. First Peter 2 and verse 15 says this. It's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. I want to read it again. It is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Sometimes it's not the best idea to have a theological argument with your auntie about Jesus. But you go around and take her a cake. Maybe that's the best thing to do. Or you go around and maybe sort out her garden. Maybe that's the best thing to do. By doing good, not by being clever, not by having all the answers, but by doing good, you silence their chatter. You silence their their chatter. So we have to live before them blamelessly. And finally, praying is quite tough. Praying for them, praying for you. Living before them blamelessly, that's quite tough. Now let's come to the grand finale. Are you ready? The grand finale. We've got to talk to them as well. We've got to talk to them. (laughs) I know that there's this idea that we just do good deeds And then what will happen is, you're so good at work that someone will come up to you and say, you know, there's something different about you. Now, I want to tell you this. I have been a missionary in a workplace for years and years and years. And I did indeed sometimes skip into work singing and be as jolly as possible. But at no point did anyone ever come up to me and go, ooh, There's something different about you. Can I come to church with you? I want you to know, by and large, it does not work. You have to talk as well. Now, talk on its own is not enough. But we already said that today, right? So we've got to be the good news, not just talk good news. We've got to be good news. It ought to be a good thing that you're in your family. It ought to be a good thing that you're in your workplace. So we've got to be good news, but we've also got to speak the good news. By and large, Jesus did not tell us 
to be wonderfully kind and everyone will come to us. He told us to go to them, right? So we have to speak. Last week I shared a story about my single days. I've got another one actually. Not as good as last week's story. That was a good one last week. But um, if uh, if ever you've got married, you probably at some point if you were allowed to, uh, got to the bit where you decided who was going to sit where at the wedding. Have you ever done this? The table plan. Who's going to sit where? And uh, (coughs) what an interesting thing it must be, sitting there going, right, he doesn't like him. She doesn't talk to her. So it's it's like an army. It's like a military procedure. You're putting these people, you know, people they might not like, and she wants to be near the top table and... You know, all this. So you've got all this to worry about. And, um, and, but there is, a, there is a problem. There is a problem that comes along, and it's this. Particularly if you're a little older, it's your single friends. What do you do with your single friends? Because single people mess up the mathematics. Because it's two, 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 and two. Two there, two there, two there, two there. Oh, him. On his own. What are we going to do with him? What are we going to do? And for years, I was that, I was that guy. What are we going to do with him? Where's he going? Where's he going? Do you know, one time, this has nothing to do with being um, in the ministry. It wasn't a place of honor at all. On one occasion, I was put on the top table because they didn't know what to do with me. It's absolutely true. I was on the top table because no one quite knew. Well, there was a spare chair on that one. Well, put him there. The guy on his own. What do you do? But this is what I found happened. And I've been a bit naughty telling you this, but I think it might be true. What would happen is this. I'm talking about Christian weddings now. So they would say, oh, what are we going to do with Peter? Now, at that time, I... The, t- the, the instance I'm thinking of, I wasn't the senior pastor of the church, but I was one of the preachers in the church. Oh, let's put him with them because they need to hear the gospel. <laughs> so, so I'm going along for a wedding, you know. I'm going for the chicken, you understand? But oh, the bride and groom, they got different ideas. No, all of a sudden, I'm going there to be a missionary. Well, fair enough. But I would, I would be placed and sat. And I tell you, if, and anyone single listening to this podcast or sitting here today, you know this full well. They put you in some of the weirdest places when you're single. And I would be put on tables with I haven't got a clue where any of these people are. And afterwards, one of the, one of the ushers or the bride or the groom would say to me, how did you get on on table 10? We, we put you on table 10. They're all sinners on that table. <laughs> we put you next to Angela. She's a bit like that. We thought you could talk to her. Great. Now, you know, let me just, let me just say this. Okay, good stuff. I'm always a missionary. And yes, of course. And I remember I did share my faith 
during, during these wedding chats. Because they're long, aren't they? <laughs> they're long. But a little bit of me. Now, you might think less of me for telling you this, but I just want to be honest. A little bit of me, on my way home, would think to myself, why don't they do their own evangelism? If they want Angela to hear about Jesus, why don't, why don't they talk to her? And the principle is very simple. We've got to do our own work. And you've got to reach your uncle because the person sitting next to you today is not going to reach them. You've got to preach to your own dad because the person sitting in front of you in church today or sitting at home, they're not going to do it. You're going to have to do it. Most people know the line in the Bible that says, do the work of an evangelist. But I was looking at it this week, and there's a bit more to it. It says this, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. That's the next line. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 5. Do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. Well, if you discharge something, it means that you, you, you spend it out. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. You have a duty. And your duty is to share your faith. Slowly, surely, strongly, softly. Today, tomorrow, however it's all going to work. But you have a duty to discharge the message of the good news to them. Don't you be praying that their favorite pop star becomes a Christian and, you know, you got to talk to them. Oh no, send me to Timbuktu with spam, please. No, you got to talk to your uncle. you got to talk to your son. you got to talk to your mum. No one else is going to do it. No one else is going to do it. And if they do, thank God, but it, it's, it's your duty. I thought of a few tips about sharing our faith and I'll finish with these. I got about four little simple thoughts. Number one, when you share your faith with someone, particularly if it's in your family, but I guess anywhere, your best friend at work, number one, assume misconceptions. Assume misconceptions. In other words, expect that they don't understand what it's all about. Uh, most people, whether you tell them that you go to church, particularly in, in a Western context, it may be different in other nations, but in a Western context, when you tell people you go to church, they automatically assume that you go to a Roman Catholic church um, where people dress up as mother, but you, but you call them father. They do not, they don't know what it's like. They have no idea. You, you must assume that they ha- it wasn't as funny as that. It, they, uh, you must assume that people have misconceptions, that they don't know what it is. They assume 
that you tape songs of praise every week. They assume that you are a different person to, the, to, to how it is many times. So that's the first thing. Uh, second thing here is I've put here that I think it's best to share the gospel when you're alone with somebody. Now that's good, good advice probably for any type of evangelism. But I know when my mum was so near to the end, all I wanted to do was be alone with her, you see. If, if there was, uh, my dad was there, or my brother was there, or my cousin was there, well, it's all good, but, but it was being alone that was important. And I, be, I began to really appreciate the power of being alone with someone, I tell you, more than I've ever done the whole of my life, probably. And in the hospital there, I would pull the curtain around, you know, and now it's just us in here. There's something about being alone with someone that allows them to respond in a way that maybe they wouldn't do if other people were, were with them. You might want to use testimony to, to share with them. They don't want a Bible study on Romans. And th- there are many people, they don't believe in the Bible. But do you know what they will believe in? Listen, they may not believe in the Bible, but they will believe you. Have you thought about that? They may not believe in the Bible, but they will believe you. And like the guy says here in John chapter 9, verse, verse 25, it's the story of the man born blind who was healed. He said, well, I don't know who he is. and I don't understand. All I know is this. Once I was blind and now I can see. That's what he said. I, I don't know if he's the Messiah. I, I, I don't know this. I don't know that. I don't know this. All I know is this. I once was blind, but now I can see. Well, if you believe in God, why is there suffering in the world? I don't know. All I know is once I was blind, now I can see. Well, what do you think about Islam? Do you? Well, I don't know. But what, all I know is once I was blind, now I can see. And you don't have to have all the answers, but you just need to know your own story. So a few little tips. Assume they don't understand be alone with them as, as best as you can. Use your testimony. And then Jonah 2 and verse 9 is a great verse. It says this, that salvation is of the Lord. And um, once you have shared, not before, but once you have shared, then you have to leave it with, yeah, you have to leave it with God. You have to leave it with the Lord. And I've had moments of powerfully being able to share my story, my testimony, and not really to know what happened. To have a clue, but not to be fully assured. But one thing we know, we have to leave it with the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Only the Father can draw them. I'll finish with this story. There was, um, once there was a, a family, and they were um, a devout family. They had a son. And their son heard about the Lord, but he chose a life of crime. In fact, he got involved with um, 
well, let's say he got involved with crime. And the extent of his crime was so uh, significant that he was executed. He was executed. And this mum and this dad would have been uh, totally distraught. We tried to bring up our boy in the right way. And they poured the, the word of God into him as best as they could. But he chose the crooked path, if you like, became a crook, and was executed. And they walked away from his funeral day, their hearts as heavy as is possible to know. But what they didn't know was that just before he was executed, this young man turned his head to Jesus on the cross next to him and said, I am guilty of being condemned. Jesus, remember me when you come with your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And on the cross, the story was not a contemporary story. It's a Bible story. On the cross, a man who was dying turned to Jesus and asked for forgiveness. But here's the point. His parents would never have known that. And as they walked away, their hearts broken. They were not to know of the activity of the Holy Spirit in the last few minutes, hours of that man's life. And here's the good news. Neither are we to know. Amen? Salvation is of the Lord. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.